so much for tuning in. The whole world's listening, including. You are listening to Astro Projection Radio Hour with She and Beatrix Gravesguard on BFF.FM. Best frequencies forever. I've posed for pictures with ivory soap. I've petted stray dogs and shied clear of dope. My smile is brilliant. My glance is tender. But I'm noted most for my unspoiled gender. I've been made Miss Rheingold, though I never touch beer. And I'm the person to whom they say, you're sweet, my dear. The only etchings I've seen have been behind glass. And the closest I've been to a bar was at ballet class, prim and proper, the girl who's never been cased. Well, I'm tired of being pure and not chaste. Like something that seeks its level, I want to go to the devil, I want to be I wanna spit tax. I wanna be evil and cheat at jacks. I wanna be wicked. I wanna tell lies. I wanna be mean and throw mud pies. I want to wake up in the morning with that dark brown taste. I wanna see some dissipation in my face. I wanna be evil. I wanna be mad. But more than that, I wanna be bad. I wanna be evil and trump an ace just to see my partner's face. I wanna be nasty, I wanna be cruel, I wanna be daring, I wanna shoot pool. And in the theater, I want to change my seat, just so I can step on everybody's feet. I wanna be sing songs like the guy who cries I wanna be horrid I wanna drink booze and whatever I've got I am eager to lose I wanna be You are listening to Astral Projection Radio Hour 
on BFF.fm. Best frequencies forever. I'm She Wolf. And I'm Beatrix Gravesguard. We'll be casting witchy vibes and sonic spells until 6 p.m. So gather round, light a candle, and levitate with us. We have a special guest with us today. Hello. Hey. Hello. Inez Um. Izquierda is here with us. Uh, She is an artist, an activist, and a witch. And uh, you have this project coming soon called Intersectional Witches, which we'll be talking about a bunch on, on the show today. But first, I want to mention, I met you um, during the 2018-2019 YBCA Fellows program. We were both in the collective safety cohort. That's right. Yeah, that's... Um that was a year-long program, and, and our cohort was exploring the idea of collective safety. Yeah, and you um, created this beautiful installation that, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like this kind of throne that was um, made with these implements and um, kind of markers of disability and you also infused it with these magical kind of um, amulets. Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about the project? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would love to. So um, I, I was looking at the idea of collective safety after um, the fires last year. And um, for I, I've been a, a art witch in Bruja for a long time and working on making different kinds of magical objects. Um, working on enchanting orthopedics Ooh. and uh, so those ideas were kind of coming together with a uh, kind of the folk art of milagro crafting and you know bringing together little intentionally um, dedicated pieces of metal and charms and so when I was thinking about this project about collective safety I was thinking about my own recovery um, my physical recovery from a serious injury and being trapped in my house. And during that time, it was the fires and so many people were trapped in their houses. And, and I wanted to make a protection piece, a protection spell for everyone that was left behind in the Paradise Fires. Mm. Um, I had read um, some pieces about how in some of the, the care homes, the staff had just left left people behind. And I was really struck by that because I had, had been in a nursing home for a, a long time in recovery, not able to leave. So. So the piece was made out of my own orthopedics, um, my crutches that I used in my recovery, my wheelchair that I had when I was recovering. And over the year, I just had them set up in my living room and was um, adding tiny charms and milagros and tying bells and strings and little prayers um, to it. And um, it was surrounded in a halo of of weaponized crutches that had all these nails sticking off of them. Everything was covered in gold. Um, and then scattered all around it was um, kind of like the ashes of papers describing some of the headlines from the time about folks that had been left behind. And of course, we know since then and the fires um, have continued and there's been a lot of organizing around disability justice in the Bay Area and folks um, doing mutual aid responses to that uh, on the ground. So, yeah, that's a little bit about that piece. Yeah, it was so beautiful and so powerful. And I, I think the very early on and kind of like coming into contact with your work, I was like, oh, 
I have to have Inez on the show eventually. <laughs> no. I had, you were on my list. I was like, really? I will <laughs> cast that spell. <laughs> May it be so. <laughs> <laughs> May it be so. And I ran into you at the Witches' Confluence. That's right. We were at the Witches' Confluence um, last month, which did, did we talk about this, that there, um, that there was like people walking around trying to convert people? <laughs> trying to convert, convert people to what? Yeah. To Christianity. There's secret oh, Christians. Christians. You guys didn't see it? Secret I didn't Christians. see this. I missed there it. There was a group of secret Christians that came in <laughs> and they were like targeting people they thought looked sad. <laughs> Isn't that like every gothy witch? So they'd be like, that like yeah, exactly. The- <laughs> so they would go to people and they'd be like, you know, you look like, my, this happened to my friend. They're like, you look like you've been having a really hard time and would you like to talk about it? She's like, I'm doing great. <laughs> and I like, just had a resting bitch face, okay? <laughs> Come on. It's just making Yeah, but it turned out that they had become on a mission. So among the many dynamics at that wow. space, that was one of them. <laughs> wow, that's so intense. I completely missed that, but. Yeah. Did you, did someone attempt to convert? No, no, I was not an attempt. No, no, I was not a convert. (laughs) You look pretty happy. (laughs) But I think it's interesting because, um, you know, that's a layer I forget about sometimes because we live in like a little bit of a magical liberal utopia in the Bay Area. And I was like, oh, yeah, people are still very offended. (laughs) Yeah. And those things don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about this um, zine project. You you have a call for proposals out. That's uh, right. I'm so that this is I was so excited to be asked, an honor to be on the show so that I could share this yes. project, the intersectional witches project. And um, so right now, um, I and um, two other brujas. I have a small circle of brujas that I've been working with, and we were just been gathering for to do like a support of each other around our own magical processes. And it just comes out over and over again for, for queer people and people of color that a magical and healing spaces is a place that people are encountering a lot of trauma, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. that's something we are always processing. And in amongst our different conversations and things happening, and one of my other projects, uh, Hex the Patriarchy, um, has brought up a lot of conversations around uh, what's happening in this time of the rise of the Instagram witch and also mm-hmm. the rise of, you know, real power and real connection with the more than human world and also capitalism. So mm-hmm. all the things are happening at once. And um, we put out this call for submissions. Uh, you had said that you were potentially interested in submitting. What part um, was called to you? Well, I think, you know, my experience with the witch sphere is is similarly. It comes from a place of like um, wanting wanting to heal. And but, you know, in, in doing so and trying to find community and ways of, of healing that maybe aren't institutional, you also kind of butt against like um, spaces that have a sense of exclusivity or a sense of like not including everyone or not including me. Um, I think mm-hmm. that the past I mean, in doing this show, um, we were just talking about how it'll be six years this um, this January that Beatrix and I have been, you know, thinking about this stuff and seeing it grow and seeing more examples um, for including more kinds of people, but also kind of criticizing the parts that are kind of perpetuating um, oppression in, in spaces that are, you know, already oppressed. Uh, so I, I think like 
I've been thinking a lot about how to question my own uh, participation in some of that oppression. So I was drawn to, you know, your proposal, which I, I'm hoping you'll you'll read for. Yeah, I love these. I love these questions. All right, so um, so we just proposed a number of, of questions. Um, and I'm going to read a couple of them here. So intersectional witch call for submissions. What would a collective proposal for intersectional witchcraft look like? How can we work towards liberation in our magic practices while not recreating oppressive dynamics or harm? How do you recognize the indigenous land you are on? How do you navigate access to tradition as a person of mixed ancestry? What are ways to respectfully draw from or recognize or abstain from traditions or lineages that are not your own? Where are we still finding transphobia in our magical communities? How are we responding? What are trans-inclusive practices and languages people can use? What are strategies for dealing with cultural appropriation? What standards or guidelines do you have for sourcing materials like plants, crystals, stones, feathers, bones? How can we be more accessible? How can our personal magic practice contribute to dignity and justice in the world? Um, so, some are, so those are some of the questions, and, and really the, the core of the idea is, you know, that, that indigenous black and brown communities are still encountering consumption and appropriation of their, of their culture, of their land, of their plants, of their histories. And, and the irony is that, that folks that are doing that are, are doing it in this search for healing and balance, mm -hmm. and um, it's recreating harm. So mm -hmm. what I, I want this proposal to be is a collective proposal for, for practices we can have that that center dignity and justice and what are people doing out there. I know that this conversation is happening in a lot of places and mm -hmm. I'm really interested in, in documenting part of it through this collection. Yeah, I really love that. And I think, um, you know, we've noticed more recently, like um, at, at least within our little Bay Area bubble, um, conversations around, you know, appropriating indigenous black and brown traditions and that includes things like white sage and um also the harm of, of crystal mining and um the sort of corporatization of an aesthetic you know um and i'm curious if there are specific things that you're interested in in mentioning or calling out here or if there have if you've gotten any submissions that are that you want to kind of like discuss um hmm. uh, well I, I don't have a specific call out although many things crossed through my mind when you said that i was like oh shit no <laughs> oh yeah feel free not to reveal either <laughs> if, uh, if if this is all kind of culminating in a in in this project um but I, I do think that, um, let's see, can you rephrase the question? Sorry, I lost oh, um, I guess, are, are there specific, are there, well, let me, let me ask a different question. What are, what, what is your personal relationship to, um, to, to these practices and, and kind of like your, what drives you to kind of, you know, engage with this? Mm. Um, well, I, I've always known that that I was a witch, but I came more into like a bruja as a like more of a political identity and affiliation. Mm. And about the last 10 years through my own uh, healing processes, 
are really trying to study my ancestral lineage, ancestral medicines, uh, and strategies for decolonizing wellness. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how I came into my own magical practices. And, and, and as I mentioned before with my, my Bruja circle of, of encountering the th same things that you're mentioning, mm -hmm. right? So um, let's see. Well, one thing that I really would like to mention is, um, you know, I think that I've been hearing uh, in part of these conversations kind of that idea of like, oh, well, we all, we're all indigenous to somewhere, right? So as long oh. as we recognize that, we can kind of practice as, as we want. <laughs> but I just wanted to remind us that we're on indigenous land always, mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. on indigenous land now. And um, indigenous people are still here. That land is unseated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so a very base practice for anything magical would be acknowledging indigenous land and having a right relationship with it. So that's like a base example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you have, um, you've worked a lot with the Sigurate Land Trust. And um, could you talk a little bit about your work with them? Sure, yeah. Um, Sigurate Land Trust is an amazing um, urban indigenous women-led project out of um, Oakland, the East Bay, and um, it, it facilitates uh, trying to bring land back into indigenous stewardship. Uh, our founder, Karina Gould, is, uh, and co-founder Karina Gould and Chanel Rose. Karina is uh, a Loni, original person of this land. This is her ancestral territory. And one of the things that we do at Sogorite is, is offer the opportunity for people to recognize that um, there's a benefit to living on stolen land, a financial benefit. And all of us that are not indigenous to here have a direct legacy of benefit. Mm -hmm. um, so and one way to recognize that is through the Shaumi land tax, which mm -hmm. is a way to, um, to pay back money to indigenous people to help establish an alternative land base. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that would be one example mm -hmm. of a way to kind of, um, you know, recognize that history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm uh, in looking at the Instagram post for that you posted calling for submissions. It made me think about this conversation we had before the show started because you were asking me like, oh, what's your history, you know, um, with like this culture? And I was thinking, I was telling you how I was like, oh, I'm an old millennial. So I grew up sort of pre-internet and my only access to a lot of information about like witchcraft and the occult was just in like the occult section of the bookstore and it's really struck me how we live in this era where things like instagram and social media and the internet it's it's like a, a place that's ripe for appropriation right of people like picking and choosing like oh i like this particular style or i like this particular spell but i am looking at this and like oh i'm curious what you think about it also being a place that is a tool to ed to educate people people does that is that a question that makes sense <laughs> yeah no i think that there's like a lot of, of conversations and yeah. encounters happening online that haven't happened in in other ways or other places both for good and bad you yeah know, it gets kind of toxic on there sometimes mm -hmm. but also uh, you know people are putting there's a, a, a diversity of uh, perspectives right yeah, and it, but it, it, it struck me to think about like, oh, my experience being much younger, sort of pre-internet and pre-social media, and I grew up in like deep white suburbia, so I had no exposure or knowledge to like the nuances of, of different cultures and different practices right. and to like, and so these questions that you ask in this post like are so profound to me to be like, oh, I never, like, if I, when I was much younger, I would never have thought 
to like ask these questions because I wouldn't have had access to somebody asking me these questions, if that makes sense. So there's something to me that's really profound about any, you know, thousands of people being able to like look at a post like this and be like, oh, right. These are questions I need to ask myself. Mm. Like, is there one that gets to stand out to you? Is there some, something you're responding to? Um, well, just uh, let me, I was, I loved this first paragraph. Um, like things like are, uh, are your magical materials harvested through exploitation? Is your feminist text low-key racist? And just to kind of, just I to like, like <laughs> <laughs> right? But it's like, you know, just to get people to like think about their own relationship to those questions. Um, yeah, even if it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's interesting to kind of um, see uh, these practices both from an individual standpoint and a community yeah. standpoint, and and how you know you're connected. You kind of can't unhitch yourself from all the all the things that you're connected to, um, and and it's interesting also personally, kind of thinking about the um, ways that I am part of oppressed groups and the way that I'm part of privileged mm -hmm. groups and kind of like, you know, reconciling my membership to a, a variety of, sure. of spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And, and experiences. Um, what is your thought on kind of exploring those those personal kind of the intersection of of every individuals you know groups and and how to kind of navigate being part oppressed and part oppressor mm, yeah i think that that i mean i identify as being mestiza being mixed and being you know I, I literally grew up half in a mission in the amazon and half in the united states wow. so um, and that, uh, so I really relate to what you're saying about having this mixed experience mm -hmm. and I, um, of where there's not a clear path of this is how I should access it mm -hmm. or this is an okay way to do it. And I think for me, especially like having gone back to my ancestral lands and, and, and tried to connect in those ways and realizing, oh, you know, like my actual living family is still really homophobic. Like I can't mm -hmm. connect with my lineage in some ways that maybe people consider as like, this is the right way you find a teacher from your family and mm -hmm. you know that's how you learn your ancestral medicine but sometimes that's not possible right so I feel like I um one thing is um just to be in a right relationship with the things that you're impacting where you are mm -hmm. and the things that you're accessing where you are mm -hmm. and ex ex uh, there is a lot of magical and medicinal practices that come out of that place of intersection and and like curanderismo and that entire all of Mesoamerican um, traditional healing is, you know, it has indigenous roots. It has roots from Africa, from folks that came over. It's a medicine of diaspora. Right. And I think that some of us are witches of diaspora mm -hmm. and, and we have to kind of find what that path means now. Yeah, that's lovely. I think a lot about how to sit in spaces of ambivalence mm. or of of contradiction and and how to have a relationship with that that's kind of continuing to question and continuing to kind of overturn things um and i i love that yeah, kind of exactly. you know the the right relationship as you say mm -hmm. um you also brought music with you today <laughs> and uh we started off the show with eartha kit 
I want to be evil. But you also intru introduced me to um, these amazing albums, The Roots of Chicha. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about that that choice um, for today. Yeah, I've been listening to this um, a lot lately in my art making time, and it's um, a compilation of psychedelic cumbia bands from from Peru. And I think that some of them are, I don't know that much about it. I think some of them are contemporary. Some of them are from the 70s. Mm -hmm. It's a mix, so, yeah. Yeah, the music is so joyful. Yes. <laughs> um, we're going to play a short set, and we will be back with more from Ines Izquierda. This is Los Chapis with El Aguajal. You're listening to Astral Projection Radio Hour on BFF.fm. Sin que nadie me conteste 
You are listening to Astral Projection Radio Hour on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. We're joined today in the studio by Inez Izquierda. And that was um, a set of songs from the roots of Chicha. You heard Los Mirlos with El Milagro Verde. And before that was Manzanita with Paga La Cuenta Sin Vergüenza. I want to ask you about your, you have this um, iconic design, Hex to Patriarchy, that uh, is this beautiful sigil that involves, um, you know, these, this illustration of hands and has it sort of infused with this sort of sigil craft um, design. And I wanted to ask you about um, the origins of that design and also that sigil craft. Awesome, thank you. Oh, I, c- I can hear myself now, it's much different. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Hex the Patriarchy is a sigil that was conjured with Lacey Johnson, my co-conspirator. Uh, I think like several years ago when we were both a part of this project called DIY MFA, which is a do-it-yourself Masters of Fine Art, like an autonomous education Oh my God, I love project, it. Right? Yes. How, how do we advance how our do art I get project <laughs> without debt? Yeah. Um, and at the time, we, we were using the hex as our lens, the idea of feminist self-defense as a lens to create art from and to kind of look at unpacking professionalization and privatization and really blowing that open. And um, so we we used our semester to explore the hex and we had a show called Hex Work. And during that time, um, we cast Hex the Patriarchy. And so within this um, design of the two hands, so the two hands and Hex the Patriarchy is kind of drawn from um, the original witch, which was um, women's international mm-hmm. terrorist. Conspiracy cons- from hell? Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Out of the 70s, they had used a phrase like that. And some of the... the um, Kind of imagery of the hands and uh, references that but inside the hands are two sigils which are like uh, magically cast uh, intentionally infused uh, mark making um to to manifest a feminist future and those um and so that practice of making um uh, images uh sigils and symbols kind of like reducing down uh, maybe a page of writing down to three or four lines um, through repeated mark making and elimination of detail would be like one, how those sigils were made while kind of meditating on on the idea of that. So I, I love sigils. I love the idea of having a quick mark that you can kind of throw on a street or a sticker or a piece of paper um, to do a quick little protection spell. You can write it on a piece of toilet paper and flush it down the toilet yes. when you take mm. a break. Toilet Can you um, explain maybe to listeners who may not know what a sigil is or like what its purpose is uh yeah so what i understand a sigil to be is to be like um um like a magically uh intentioned mark Mm -hmm. Uh, helen you were talking also about sigil making is it would you add to that she will will. yeah i i think it is yeah i i like the phrase mark making and i think about that a lot with some of my ritual-based drawing practices and like intentional meditative mark making. But I think there's also something about a sigil that's like, it's sort of like almost 
this distilled, concentrated, you know, minimal at times mark. And um, there's something akin to like a logo or icon a bit about it, right? The, the minimal use of lines and kind of like, um, I know there's, there's often some sacred geometry involved, some um, sacred symbols involved. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and what is, uh, could you describe your kind of sigil ritual practice? Yeah, so the one I mentioned is, is my main practice, which is I, I kind of do a, a grounding and meditation, and then I write um, like my full kind of intentions for the, the marks I'm going to make. And then I take out all the vowels and reduce it just to consonants, and then I re reduce the detail in the consonants, and I just write it over and over again till it reduces down to just a very simple shape, and that lets me know that it's done. Ooh. So, that. yeah, so it might just be line after line after line, and then just get it smaller and smaller and smaller. And so in, in my mind, those, those, each mark has that full page of intention, right? Mm. Um, so that would that would be the main way to do it. And then there's this idea that you like activate the sigil. And so um, people do that in different ways sometimes, like how we said the flush or to, to burn it, or sometimes the actual mark making it, maybe you'll mark make it in the sand and let a wave take it. Um, mm. And so um, for this sigil, the, the activation is is printing it. I, I print it out or stencil it. Ooh. I love the idea that then you can also kind of look at like, graffiti is like like city sigils 100 percent. i, love I totally yeah, yeah. believe that and, and in fact like when i see like you know i also do a lot of like stickering and i used mm -hmm. to do more street art and when i was more physically able and um every time i see one you know i feels like a little protection spell like yeah <laughs> do you approach your art as a spell as magic making yeah i do i identify as kind of like an art witch mm -hmm. and i have a lot of ritual around like uh, drawing. I've been doing mostly drawing lately. I'm working on a kind of like an ongoing comic book about the intersection oh. of magic and mental health um, mm. and a non-traditional comic book. And so, yeah, so it, it's not quite the same as the sigils of, of like actually casting this thing, but it's very much that the marks I'm making are, are holding a story for me. Mm. Why, why do you think people are drawn to these practices like particularly at this moment in time because we talked a bit off air that there's like this kind of research and interest in a lot of in a lot of this stuff but from your perspective what do you well the what... world is ending <laughs> and everyone's scared yeah so <laughs> the apocalypse is here basically um no but i think that the the, the factors of the world it is like the consumption models unsustainable the climate change is, you know, it's here, like, and people are looking for a way to come and to balance and, and to be connected to, to spirit and to be connected mm -hmm. to the more than human world. I mean, people have a strong draw, like, the, unfortunately, for most of us only know kind of a, a consumer approach mm -hmm. to to it, you know, so we have to relearn something new and different than that, because that's, that's not going to work. Yeah, I find that I have to grapple with that um, sort of consumer versus creation you know, there's there's like to consume or to just kind of like um, browse and look and take in more and more and more information or or to um, 
kind of like stay glued to a screen is so easy but like to kind of put that down and, and channel that energy into creation is there's a little bit more resistance to that but I find that to be so healing and kind of like um, reparative for all mm. the time that I spend kind of like in that vortex of like oh one more one more one more you know um, and yeah do you have um, kind of creative rituals that you turn to um, with with your art making or to kind of like keep you in in the sort of art flow state uh, well, one, I have my, my art spaces in my house and I have the space like very um, prepared. Essentially, I live in an altar and in the middle of the altar is like my drawing desk. So wow. <laughs> I feel like, um, you know, a preparation of space and having a, a dedicated space has been really important for me. Um, and I have like, uh, you know, shared space at different times and having like a quiet place to focus and, and just be grounded um, is one of the ways, the main ways, yeah. Yeah, I think I need to live in an altar. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I was just thinking about how I, like, it's like envisioning where I wake up every day, and I feel like my bed is just like this weird nest full of like books and like leaky pens, and that's amazing. <laughs> I was like, it's. T I was like, I don't know that I would call that an altar, but it's inspiring me <laughs> to think about how I could make an altar around my bed. Yes, yeah. love it. Yeah, I love that. Um, I know your time on this show is short, so I want to give you a bit of time to kind of plug what you have upcoming and uh, tell our listeners where they can find you. Yes. Okay, well, there's two events I 100% wanted to share with everyone. Um, the first is um, the day after Thanksgiving on Black Friday. It's the annual Shalman prayer protest, and this is... Um, at the Shell Mound in Emeryville, which is right there at the corner of the mall. This is a, a lonely burial site that was developed 20 years ago. And every year on the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, the biggest shopping day of the year, uh, Ohlone people gather folks at that site and ask people to come and stay in solidarity mm. and ask folks not to shop on their burial ground. So please come out. Everyone is welcome. And um, the it's a it's a really important uh, event to support is there anywhere people can find like information online about it just um yes so it's called um, the shaman prayer gathering and um you can find information through i believe the shell mound say the shaman website okay and, mm -hmm. yeah, Facebook. We'll and i'll send you guys the link. It yeah. awesome and the other event i would love to share with you guys is a uh, queer magic makers which is in Oakland, um, the first weekend in December, uh, Sunday the 8th. It is a queer art, craft, and healing fair, and I've been a core organizer for about four years. And um, this fair is actually, it's focused on some of the things that we're talking about, about really featuring uh, working class and socially engaged artists and crafters and healers um, and trying to raise uh, them up. So it's going to be amazing. Artists, crafters, health, beauty, tarot, food i will be there with all my hexapatriarchy wares Yay. and many new brujerias um so hope folks can hit up those two events of course don't forget to submit to intersectional witches project which is mm. uh the intersectional witch project at gmail and uh, most of the info will be linked off my instagram at inez underscore izquierda and you have a etsy shop too as well i do i yes. have an etsy shop it's called brujeria designs and um it just has a couple of my zines and 
some rare Hex of the Patriarchy gear there. But I always have um, special in-person, real-life only things Ooh. that never go online. Yes. So FYI. Yeah, we will be there. Thank you so much. Yeah. For oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Um, you guys are amazing and magical and wonderful. Yeah, we're going to play a last set of your music picks, which I am obsessed with. Awesome. Yeah, these are also from The Roots of Chicha. This is Los Deseos with a Patricia. Uh, you've been listening to Astral Projection Radio Hour on BFF.fm. Uh, with our lovely special guest today, Ines Izquierda. Thanks so much for Muchísimas coming gracias. on. I hope you can come back again. Thank you. And hang out for longer. Love it here. Los destellos de Enrique Delgado les dedican Patricia.
visto con tus libros caminando y tu carita de coqueta colegiala de mi amor tú sonríes sin pensar que al mirarte solo por ti estoy sufriendo colegiala de mi amor Thank you. 
Radio Hour on BFF.fm, Best Frequencies Forever. We just heard off of the Roots of Chicha compilations, uh, Compe Quinto with um, El Diablo. Before that, before that was Los Illusionistas with Cole Fiala. And starting off that set was Los Deseos with A Patricia. And those were all um, selections from Inez Izquierda, who uh, was with us for the first hour of the show. So amazing. Oh, yeah. Am I on? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm in a My different plug. seat. I'm in a different seat. I'm, I'm far away right now. I just want to describe these beautiful um, gifts, gift sigil spells that Inez left us with. Uh, it's, in a witch handbag. Yeah, where do I get these witch handbags? They're like I are they like Halloween candy bag type? I think so. Hands? Yeah, they're amazing. Um, it's like a green hand with black nails, and uh, inside is a Rex the Patriarchy lapel pin, um, tiny little sigil craft, as well as. A card that says, free the children, close the camps, abolish ice. Yes. This is so, it's such a wonderful gift. Thank you, Inez. Yeah. Come back on. Yeah. Know. Oh, and there's another little thing that says, respect femmes. Mm. Yes. I also loved her musical picks. I know. The Roots of Chicha are like, it's such a, a joyful um, album to put on. And I will be thinking a lot about how to make my workspace more like an altar. Yeah, man, that really, I'm in such a like deeply wanting to get rid of everything I own right now. And -hmm. just like, you know, altars can be minimal. Well, right. But I like I, but it's making me think of how I need to be. I'd like to be more intentional with like what I put in my space because mm-hmm. a lot of it is just there because it's there mm-hmm. and it's like been there for a long time. Yeah. Um, but it really, it's kind of just a reflection of like an older former self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I moved things around quite a bit this summer in, in my living space and it did help a lot. You know, it was, it yeah. was like, it felt like, it felt like a spell, and I, I'm thinking about this too. These sort of like practical changes or practical actions, and thinking of those things as as kind of a spell, you know. Yeah, I was talking to the friend last night who's like reading 
uh, a lot of architecture books right now. Um, and he's like, I'm really fascinated just by, um, like the, these are not his words, but like almost like the sacredness of space mm -hmm. and just like how we use space. Mm -hmm. um, he'd never been to the Chapel of Chimes in Oakland. And I was like, oh man, you want to mm -hmm. see somebody who did something really intentional and wild about like a space for the dead. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good place. But yeah, but I, I don't think we like, we think about it in our daily lives as much, like how we, how we utilize like the space we live in and how we, how it makes us feel. I think space can be really affecting to me on this really kind of um, low frequency psychological level. And, yeah. and it's interesting to for me to examine, especially uh, being a person who in the past few years has done more and more artist residencies. Mm -hmm. And I always notice spaces and how they kind of affect the ways that I think and make art. Yeah, that and, makes a lot of and sense. And the spaces that facilitate that and the spaces that sometimes are set up in order to or with the intention to, but somehow don't. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we might have talked about hauntings on one of our recent shows. We did, yeah, like, it was last week. Yeah, and and talking about like spaces that have had vibes. And yeah. I, and I think like some spaces that feel really haunted to me are are those kind of like architecturally uncomfortable spaces. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and it's like the haunting isn't necessarily linked to what we think of as as haunting and it might be something something else that just like feels a little off maybe it's like it's probably some some kind of you know spidey sense from my from my ancestry of like thinking about feng shui and yeah, like energy movement sure. and things like that there are places where i've been in residence and there's just been a really strange sleeping situation where sometimes i will like sleep the other way facing the other way and it'll like suddenly I'll be like oh that's very different yeah <laughs> there's something yeah like about about the like shifting of of like where my where my body is I but, don't yeah I don't know a lot about feng shui but I was listening to a podcast recently in which um this woman um she was getting sort of like relationship advice from a feng shui expert and she the feng shui expert pointed out that this woman had a lamp on one side of her bed that had been broken for like years, mm -hmm. like it wouldn't turn on. And she's like, you see the metaphor, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got like one side of the bed with the lamp turns on and yeah. one that doesn't. And, and I started to think about that and I realized on one side, like on the side of the bed that like I sleep on, is like a nightstand and a lamp and a bunch of books. And the other side of my bed is just a giant cactus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's yeah, that's message. not very welcoming, is it? Yeah. Like, that's just to me, that's just like my prickly stay the fuck away uh, self. Yeah, it's protective. So then I immediately moved the cactus. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, man, have I just been blocking myself from love this entire time? <laughs> 
like by sleeping next to this giant thorny cactus <laughs> who i was very proud of by the way this cactus yeah. grew like to be a giant he was like my mm -hmm. cactus son but i moved him to the other room your cactus son protected you from uh for a time that you needed protecting and that's possible uh or it's like it also reminds me of uh my therapist uh my old therapist once said to me after my litany of complaints, I was like, why do I just, why am I always attracted to emotionally unavailable men? And she's like, have you ever considered that you're the emotionally unavailable one? And mm. I was like, shit. Mm. Yeah. It's the cactus. Mm. Yeah. yeah. The cactus <laughs> is the metaphor. <laughs> yeah. You know, who's really uh, in tune to space and how it affects the psychological state is, uh, live with an animal and you oh. you end up learning a lot i am constantly learning new things about the space i live in mm. through my cat and the way that she uses the space it's interesting my mm. cat's just a really big loaf she's happy and she's a flopper <laughs> she, she likes the likes space to, <laughs> she just likes to flop yeah. so, oh my god a an orange cat snuck into our house the other night mm. and I was like asleep and I was the only one home and I woke up to what sounded like a cat fight in the house and I was like what we also have a rabbit in the house and I was like are the rabbit and the cat fighting that would be weird and I went out and I noticed I saw my cat chase an orange cat up the stairs mm. um wow yeah intruder Garfield intruder Garf yeah he was eating all her food yeah <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about the full moon in Taurus. Yeah, it's today. It's today. Uh, full moon in, in Taurus and Scorpio. Mm -hmm. I sort of read that somewhere it's like a grounded energy meets intense energy. Yeah. They're, they kind of are weirdly at home. And I also, I found this picture. It was like the best spell ever for full moon in Taurus. It's a t-shirt um, I saw this earlier. Somebody is wearing just the back of, uh, the back of the T-shirt. It says, "Good sex, no stress, one boo, no X, small circle, big checks." Yeah, I was like, "That's some big Taurus really full moon energy right there." Like, yeah. just whisper that at the full moon tonight. It's very money witch too. Like it's very money witch, yeah, and it's very Taurus. Like, <laughs> I've noticed a lot of maybe less here. Um, but you know, still a little bit, I think with the, there, there was a clock change recently, so yeah, it's getting, you know, our, our sense of time was shifted forward recently. Um, so that it appears that the sun is going down sooner and, um, in certain parts of the world, uh, where the seasons change more dramatically, um, there's this sort of bracing of self of like, okay, yeah, it's going to like now is you know winter is starting and um if you're someone who has a difficult time with winter now is kind of like the time when you're like oh okay it's coming yeah you know? no I totally it felt really abrupt for me this year like usually yeah. I'm I'm very like excited for winter and sort of like a quieter inward time like I but I but I don't know, There's this month was also very intense for me. Not good or bad, just intense and sort of hard to get my bearings. And I was traveling and 
other's feelings and um and it just felt like the shift came very abruptly but i i'm feel i think i'm feeling this full moon energy in a deeply Taurus way of mm -hmm. just like make some stew <laughs> make some stew you know and i and i to me too i was surprised like this sort of like oh it feels like it's becoming winter and it may, I was like, Oh, I feel kind of lonely. And mm -hmm. I like, there's this sort of sense of like, I'm going to go hunker down for the winter. And like, mm -hmm. you know, you either need to find your little like squirrel mate who will, you know, share his cheeks stuffed full of nuts with you. <laughs> uh, or you're on your own. Um, and yeah, I don't know why that like, that like came up so suddenly, but I was like, Ooh, mm -hmm. It feels like winter and it feels lonely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with the darkness too, I think it, it kind of, you know, going back to talking about spaces and how those spaces affect you psychologically. I also had an experience um, living in a place where the entire um, space would get really dark with the sun setting. Mm. And it's like kind of a literal closing in of options, you know? Yeah. And I don't like my options closing in. So it's it, it feels like, you know, during the day, it's like there's all this possibility. I can see very far. I can like walk yeah. and, and kind of like commune with what, I, what I'm able to, to see and what's able, you know, to, to kind of like see me, I guess, or like this, this sort of... Um, there's like an expanse but when it when the light is gone it's almost like there's this closing of the doors yeah, you know it, and that can feel kind of profoundly isolating yeah I'm, I'm not somebody who like feels lonely very often mm -hmm. but I was like ooh, this feels lonely or maybe mm -hmm. just because I wasn't again like normally it's like a shift I anticipate yeah and I get, and I get sort of like in the mode for it though I am excited to I like the end of year as sort of for me it's it's a ritual of like to be able to like reflect mm -hmm. and then to like think ahead mm -hmm. um like I like those markers not like necessarily in like a new year's resolution kind of way but mm -hmm. um but you know this year feels like eight million years long <laughs> so yeah. much has happened this year and I feel like I'm gonna need five years to process everything that happened this yeah. year uh and so i think i'm just gonna take the entire month of december to like to really think about it yeah i like that too i think i've i've been thinking a lot about uh the past year kind of scorpio season for me marks like a you know with with my rising sign like the the end of a cycle the beginning of a new yeah. one you know so it's it's been interesting to kind of like look back on that and um also the holidays just like there's there's just not a whole lot of space you know it's like yeah. kind of like nice to to start a little bit earlier and, and to start kind of like unraveling threads it's true i want to talk um maybe when we come back uh about this article that the 2010s broke our sense of time Yes. Well, I also was like, wait, what? We're in going to be in a new decade? Um, like, that feels weird to me. I don't, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think back to like 2010. I'm like, did that feel like, a, like, whoa, it's a new decade? 
I mean, time is mm. time is random, whatever. But like the markers by which we measure it mm-hmm. in terms of like decades, it's weird because we we think of decades. We're like, oh, the '60s, mm-hmm. the '70s, mm-hmm. um, and then like, oh man, I remember New Year's Eve 2000. <laughs> like, how are mm. we 20 years out from that? And yeah, time feels really wonky mm-hmm. to me in the 2000s like in the 21st century and I don't know what that's about but I want to like read this article and think about it some more all right shall we play some music yes I'm gonna play um this is Opero Del Mar with please stay you're listening to astral projection radio hour on bff.fm Oh 
Fuck. 
Listening to Astral Projection Radio Hour on BFF.fm. Best frequencies forever. You just heard Majel Connery with Persephone's Prayer. Before that was Shikosue with Secret Bower. Starting off that set was Opero Del Mar with Please Stay. We're going to talk about time and how we've broken our sense of it. Bent. It's warped. <laughs> yeah, man. It's been smushed and stretched simultaneously. Uh, I feel like my relationship with time is becoming increasingly disoriented yeah, and stretchy and weird. I'm curious, too. Um, so there are all of these kinds of influences to our sense and shape and experience of time. And I want to ask you in particular about two very different ways of marking time. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is what we just mentioned in our last talk break, the moon, the cycles of the moon. Yeah. Um, And living by cycles of the moon and, and living by cycles, I guess. And, you know, we talk a lot about astrological cycles there are a bunch of other ways that people mark time and cycles um and then the other one i guess is technology and how technology gives us a different way of experiencing time and uh we experience things kind of like asynchronously and in the form of like a feed that is like 
designed in a linear way but is experienced in a non-linear way that makes sense yeah it's like there's just this endless stream of yeah. information and content and a lot of it is designed in a way that's meant to keep you keep watching scrolling, yeah. or yeah. like lo like Netflix be like, are you still there? Could I keep playing the show? Um, and I think a lot too about, I wonder how much are, I, I kind of believe that human brains, like we need longer to process things than we think we do. And yeah. so we're just bombarded with content that we're trying to make meaning out of. Yeah. I have a, a, a younger millennial mm -hmm. sister who um, I think, has like is is more fully molded by the algorithmic timeline style um way of experiencing and consuming than i am a, l a little bit more and it's um i think one of my more common frustrations with like having a conversation with her is uh how short her attention span is Oh, and, like and how and and I like there's a sense of like also kind of like moving on from something like really quickly or like not being able to to listen and kind of like let something kind of sink in more deeply, you know? Yeah. And I think that that probably has a little bit to do with um, the way that we experience social media in those same ways of like as it's scrolling past, like that's the amount of attention we give to it. Yeah, well, and I, like, my brain is kind of a completist. So like, I want to scroll all the way to the end of a thing and tells me it, until it tells There's me. There's no end. I it know, it's, it's not good for my brain because like when Instagram's like, you've seen all, I like, I want to keep going until Instagram's like, you've seen all the posts, even though I don't oh. really like. But I don't, have you seen all the posts when they well, say that? I don't know. Yeah. That's what it tells you. But okay. it's like my brain it just wants the noti the notification. It's like a speed bump. And then you. I'm like annoyed because I'm like, or sometimes I'll get, I'll actually feel relief like on Twitter. I really only look at Twitter on my phone. And maybe only like eh, once a day at most. Yeah. But I have to keep going. And then there's always this weird glitch where it'll just stop loading them. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I don't have to look anymore. Because <laughs> yeah. I, like, I would just keep going. And then it like it's like permission to just close the whole thing because mm -hmm. I'm like, well, uh, I, there's probably more to look at, but I won't ever know. Um, yeah. And so like, but I kind of need those like those other methodologies of like putting time limits where it's like you've been on that doesn't work on me at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like dismiss. I don't care. Keep yeah. It to me. <laughs> but yeah. But then I. But then when I like actually do look at the amount of time I spend on certain things, I'm like horrified where mm. I'm like, what else could I be doing with that time? Mm. Besides just taking in or when I think about like the then I'm sure there's like a math equation in here somewhere, but it's like the amount of data and information I'm taking in, what actual real meaning am I taking in from that information? Mm, that will like what are you extracting what am i extracting and how is it mm. influencing me or impacting me even like, that is 20 percent of, of it worth it yeah. is like 10 percent of it worth it is it all even that's kind of interesting because we i think our sense of time is kind of shaped by capitalist interests and extraction of value is also a, a capitalist interest 
in in terms of like how these things are these things are written right like they're extracting like your um like your scrolling is is data for them they're extracting that from you yeah but it's not a it's not a fair trade you know like you're not getting yeah the same did you happen to catch the glass room downtown it was like this sort of i heard it described as um the museum of ice cream meets black mirror it was like set up sort of like an apple store Mm -hmm. um but all the little like displays and like technological um kind of installations were um art pieces about um technology extractive algorithms like extraction of uh, minerals okay um it was like up for i think just one month and i caught it the end and there was this thing that you could like put your phone on and um, there was a camera on your face that would like track your eye movement and you were to scroll through your feed Uh. for um, a bit of time and then it would tell you how much your data was worth and kind of like little bits of data that um you know instagram or whatever could could presumably mine from from Mm. the experience of your kind of like idle scrolling it could it could say like oh what how how much of this was like fast scrolling versus yeah. slow scrolling. What was your what were your facial expressions while you're looking at Whoa. that? Um, no, I want to know what mine is. Uh, it it seemed to think that I was a 26 year old unstably like unstable behavior male, <laughs> and I was like, cool. If that's what they, yeah, yeah, that's that's what they've got. Like, sure. um, take take that lie, oh, yeah, <laughs> and and try to sell that. Um, but I, I was like, oh, are they going to start marketing Joker to me? Oh, <laughs> like, totally. Um, but I found that really interesting. It, at the end, there's like a monetary amount of like two minutes of scrolling. Like this is what you, you could send an invoice to Instagram for like this amount of money that they have extracted from your idle scrolling. Um, FYI, everyone should cover. I mean, if you haven't already, I think I've, I've been doing this for the past few years. Um, you should cover your front-facing camera if you're not using it. Oh, definitely always have that covered because that is definitely okay. a, a mode of extraction that I don't know. I can't me. say. I I don't actually know if it's being used, but it it could be, could be. Yeah, you know. Okay, good to know. Um, but yeah, time, <laughs> time. Yeah. So BuzzFeed News wrote this piece: the twenty ten have the twenty tens broken our sense of time and. This is from Catherine Miller. Yeah, people are always saying things like, time is melted, my brain is melted, Donald Trump has melted my brain. I can't remember if that was two weeks ago or two months or two years ago. That is real. The, it's like, like the Dali melting clocks. Yeah, or like when people <coughs> say how long ago things were, I, I, whether it's either more recent than I remember or longer, I'm always shocked. I'm like, really? That happened then? Like, I do I feel like... I recently had this experience yeah. where I was like looking back on the year and then I was like, what did I write last year? And when I looked at that, I was like, well, that was only one year ago. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> That's but nuts. They point out in this article, like, and you wanted to talk a little bit about algorithms, but like humans designed algorithm rhythms as you pointed out but like yeah we're I wanna, yeah but i wanted to, to talk about the fact that like the we're not given 
information in a linear fashion anymore. No. We, and so I wonder not. how that like fucks with us, you know, to be like, like, cause I'll have to sometimes look at a post and I'm like, wait, that was, this is from four days ago, you know, mm-hmm. or, um, yeah, it's, um, algorithms are, I, I, I find it really interesting, um, how, you know, capital T, capital A, the algorithm is talked <laughs> about in, um, in media, uh, usually by, by, um, non tech centric reporters as this sort of like ominous force i i find that a, a really interesting kind of like archetypal trope of, mm-hmm. of this time is like the algorithm exists kind of like as um an influential force in the ways that we think in the ways that we act yeah and it is it is like a, a pretty you know like it's it's pretty simple like that the algorithm whichever algorithms they are are like maximized and engineered to be as extractive yeah. as possible um for capitalist purposes right yeah. that's that's like a pretty clear you know um and that warps our ways of thinking and acting so that we can be more uh we we are the product is is what a lot of people say like we are the source of data to be mined and sold, yeah. you know, and and that data makes these algorithms. Um, it makes it easier for algorithms to sell things to us, <laughs> to yeah. perpetuate uh, growth of capital. Um, but the other interesting thing about you know referring to it as the algorithm is sometimes there's this sense that it's this nebulous force that's sort of just run away from its <laughs> yes. creators. It's very science fiction-y. But I always, I, I, I always want to like emphasize that algorithms are created by people and those peoples have agency and they sit in meetings right. making decisions yeah. for how this data will be stored and maybe disseminated yep. in really insidious ways. Yeah. And those people are not, for the most part, like a shadowy cabal that is like mysterious. They're like people like me and you who sometimes just need the need, need to pay the bills yeah. and are entrenched in a system where like it's really hard to say no. Sure. And I think that that is one of the more difficult things to kind of like sit with is like I I'm giving a talk in a couple of days to um, a group of undergrad students in a design program and I was thinking about how like just within this very short period of time I think the last time I, I gave a similar lecture was maybe about a year ago I would always talk about like design bias and and these things that like seem neutral but really are not and are like the the product of of human decisions and um how we have a lot of blind spots like mm-hmm. we you know we're not humans are, are we can't see shit um so we have a lot of blind spots and i was like looking back on on what i've said about this in the past and i was like you know i just like i feel like Following the election, there were a lot of things 
that were said by people in all kinds of disciplines of like, this is how we're going to be different. Right. And this is how we're going to change things. And like, we're going to be more, um, we're going to be more cognizant of the ways that we perpetuate oppression in these spaces. And when I was like rereading that, I was also struck with this new reality of like these decisions being less and less available, mm. you know, and I, I'm trying to figure out how to how to talk about things yeah. that are like, oh, it's not so simple as like, hey, just don't work for those people. Like, if only, you know. Yeah. So I guess I, yeah, I, I think that that is a deep place of like um, questioning and ambivalence for me is like yeah. how do you how do you talk about those things that do sometimes feel like they run away from you in this systemic ominous force kind of way right like the algorithm the system the the man like the, there are these sort of like um ways that we we kind of like quantify those yeah. those, those tropes in our society or just even the fact that like you know what's more like we we live in different kinds of time mm -hmm. you know like there's minutes and seconds and like a clock but then there's like time online there's historical time mm -hmm. there's like economic time and shifts and it feels like there's maybe psychological time. what i wonder if like one of the reasons there's this collective sense of like time feels like glitchy and weird and broken is because we're living in a lot of kind of frenetic timelines right now and and different arenas like politically <laughs> we're living in a weird timeline mm -hmm. and an anxious timeline and mm -hmm. i imagine anxiety makes time feel odd in some sense you know we're living in like an economically anxious time yeah so i'd be i'd be curious time is to like money too is an interesting thing yeah to, to think about like time like thinking about the ways that we've changed the way we live around the monetization of our time. Yeah. And I think you and I, being freelancers, know this to an acute degree, yeah. right? Um, of like changing the way we live in order to make room for more <laughs> life. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I'd be curious of like a, a long-term study over different eras of how people experience time like are there periods in history in which time felt relatively like stable for lack of a better word or does every era or generation be like no time's fucking crazy yeah um you've read james glick's time travel right i read like half of it there's like there's a lot in there yeah that i remember about um how our perception of time changes the more we have mm. um, ways to mark yes. duration. That makes sense yeah. to me. Um, and the more that time is monetized, I think yeah. that in particular changes the way, like things like clocking in, clocking out, or like, you know, there's so much in our language that shapes the way we experience it. The, the it's ways true. that like metaphor can kind of change the the shape of these things and like the scarcity of these it's things. It's true. Yeah. Do you think time is going to continue to feel wonky in this new decade? Well, I think what's interesting is that 
we are technically at a place where um, we're living longer mm -hmm. compared to historic uh, timelines for like a life for, you know, on average, I think that there are definitely disparities throughout the world of, of like the length of a lifetime. But I think we're also faced with a possible end of like the planet. Yeah. And I, I'm, oh, I think whole that new those, timeline anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like a visible end. Yeah. And, um, and I think a lot about like the ways that we try to escape time mm -hmm. or save time. Um, yeah. Saving time is a really funny yeah. metaphor, right? Like that you can kind of like, have it in a bank <laughs> or like it's it's like sort of you know it is a scarce resource we're, we're all just yeah. given um you know a limited amount but to put that limit on like the entire planet is is probably really warps our sense of like uh, what what there is to do our sense of urgency our sense of like uh either desperation or um uh, a, a sense of of like hope or lack thereof yeah i don't know that makes sense i don't know do you do you think that there have been any well i asked you at the beginning of this talk break do you think you've been able to remedy the algorithmic sense of time and time scarcity and time urgency with things like following the moon phase no <laughs> uh i don't know to be quite honest i don't think i measure time in that kind of in like moon cycles or anything like that i think i am measured and it's still measured you know like it's yeah still, it's still like it I is a measure that has like a, a sense of end yeah i personally i tend to measure time in terms of like life chapters like I, I'm very in tune with like it's interesting because to think that this is like the decades of my life sort of are, line up very closely with like actual decades because I was born in 81. So this next decade, I'll be 40 in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, so it feels like, OK, new decade for me, new decade for the world. Yeah, yeah. And so that kind of gives me like a sense of time. And when I look back over the last decade, which is my 30s. It's mind boggling to me what a different person I was mm -hmm. at 30 mm -hmm. than I am now. Yeah. Um, in a way, that's like a little bit of a relief how different, how different yeah. I am. And I was talking about this last night where I was like, wow, I'm a much more confident person than I was 10 years ago, which is yeah. if you told me that would happen 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. Mm. Um, but so like in a way, this decade I'm like, wait, how, how did time go by? But it, is, it also feels like, wow, a lot happened. Like mm -hmm. for me to uh, like all sort of all chemically transform into like what feels like a completely different person in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so like I t that's tends to be how I measure time is like in in cycles of like personal 
growth or revelation or like, you know, those little like, it's like being those little Russian nesting dolls. It's like, what at what point did I grow a new outer layer? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the measurement of time, like your measurement of time yeah. going backwards. Yes, but, uh, I, I yeah, look, yeah. Measure, measuring of time through like uh, retrospect. That's, I think, um, how I think about it. But I also can sense like right now I'm like, ooh, I'm very much at the end of a particular layer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's like aligning with a decade, but I it, I always feel it like physically it feels like a little too tight sweater. It's, it's for, everything gets very itchy to me, like mm-hmm, spiritually mm-hmm. and emotionally and mentally. I'm like, get it off. It's too tight. And what that usually says to me is like, well, this is the end of something. This is the, the end, end of a, a specific yeah. timeline yeah. for you. But I have learned you just, I have to also, it's like kind of like the, the chrysalis time where mm-hmm. it's going to feel a little gross and weird and moldy it's for a while. Off. <laughs> it's got to slowly peel off. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. be feeling like emotionally disgusting for the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah. I think that like, Especially with the start of this new timeline. And I, I feel like a lot of people pinpoint the election as the start of it. But I think it like was kind of setting in a little bit before that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> For It was like this kind of latent, like, uh, you know. I think, the ele- yeah, I think the election just brought in a, a new a new sense of urgency about it. Timeline, yeah. yeah of yeah. feeling of like anxiety of an anxious timeline and yeah. feeling like we got we were being bombarded constantly with yeah and exhausted by information and panic and so during that i think that sort of trans transition into what seems like kind of a new time i um i think i also have found myself kind of like peeling away from these very kind of um you know influential forces of of like the technological algorithmic yeah. timeline um i feel like there was a point a few years ago where i was like i don't know where my brain is anymore like mm. i have i have kind of like lost the sense of autonomy and did go through what i've recently realized like going through a bit of a reflective period was like a very long and slow and intense destruction of like all the things that I thought I believed or held true for a long time oh, and was yeah. like not true, not true, not yeah. true, burned down. Um, and and kind of was like it was almost like a sigil craft, right? You like sure. start off with this this a massive amount of stuff, and you just like delete and delete and delete and delete and you're like what is left what is left at the core and like what can I build on Mm -hmm. and one of the things I've been doing a lot more of in the past couple of years is like trying to read books and I historically have been a person who starts like 12 books and finish (laughs) none of them but I've been kind of like okay one at a time and I read on a kindle and what's interesting about that is like there's a little bar at the bottom that you could toggle on and off that tells you how much time you have left for the chapter or oh. how much time you have left for the book. And I don't know how they calculate that. Yeah, like people maybe read at different paces. People, well, I think it's based on my pace. Uh, oh, whoa. You know? like learned your reading pace. That's yeah, weird. well, because it, it's like really simple to calculate. It's like how much time do you spend on yeah. a page, you know? And like, it, it's pretty simple to be like, okay, multiply that by the number of pages. Yeah. And, and it, it, it kind of like changes and shifts. But I remember like starting off, like when I started picking up books again, 
um, that thing was like still on at the bottom of my screen and I was constantly kind of like looking down and and there's this sense of like you know we talked about earlier like time is money time is extractive value um, and and you kind of think of these things as like oh these are monetary units or these are units of of like um, worth in some way yeah and it's it it can be kind of like anxious making like how much how much more do I have how much more you like start to think of like these endings as like a place to get to rather than uh the substance of the book itself or you think of like oh this is going to take so much longer like I'm I am like so slow and you think of yourself as like this kind of you know (laughs) instrument in a way that's like uh, of of like how how competent is your Ooh. reading ability yeah. you know or, you know and I, I was like very reading very slowly because I'm kind of used to yeah. this frenetic pace of like bits and pieces mm-hmm. of of snack sized information that is perfectly tailored to be like snacked on and on and on and on right and and to kind of like focus on a thing that was like crafted right. over a large period of time um was like a new experience but yeah. I I turned that off and it, it's been really interesting kind of like <laughs> seeing yeah. my my brain in in real time almost like relearn these things yeah and, and relearn how to like just sort of like drink something in instead of yeah. like like stuffing it into into my mouth or into my brain you know it's just like oh I can like take slow sips yes I'm of, a, I'm of a, a book and of the, the slow sip the slow sip method. of a book rather than yeah. the just like I got to just like hoard yeah. this all in right now because like I am dying. I have many books to read. <laughs> but some books demand slow sips. Yeah. They, wanna, they want you to take their time. I'm reading um, Underland right now and it's a slow sip on a book. Yeah, same. I've dipped like just read that in bits and spurts since it came out and I'm fine with that pace. Some books yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm like, we're going to be in a relationship for years and that's okay. <laughs> it's long term. It's long term. Okay, let's play some more music. This is uh, very appropriately Jennifer Vanilla with Space Time Motion. <laughs> You're listening to Astral Projection Radio Hour on BFF.fm. Motion. 
Jennifer Van. 